2: Good afternoon, everybody. Live from the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money, and here is what is on tap tonight. Riding the rally, the Dow and Nasdaq up nine straight days, while the S and P is up eight of the past nine sessions and is within spitting distance of a record high. Are investors too bold up for their own good? We'll debate that. Plus, Meta's mojo—from last year's Facebook faceplant to this year's Insta revival. Even with the stock up nearly 200%, one firm thinks Meta is still a top pick for next year. That is our call of the day. And later, a studs and duds edition of Would You Rather. From entertainment to autos to retail to industrials, the traders will face off on this year's leaders and laggards and who will win in 2024. I'm Tyler Matheson, in for Melissa Lee. Glad you could join us. Coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ Market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour in an undisclosed location. Karen Feinerman sitting to my right. Dan Nathan and Guy Adami join us as well. And we start with the latest index that is inching toward a new record. The S&P rising nearly six-tenths of a percent today, closing less than a percentage point from its all-time high. The benchmark index is now up nearly 16% from its October lows and is almost 25% higher on the year. Meanwhile, the Dow closed at its own record for a fifth day in a row. The small-cap Russell 2000 led the charge, though, settling at its best level since August of 2022. The question now is, is it too late to get on board with this bull rally, or is there more steam left in the engine? Guy, are investors expecting too much? Hello, sir, and thank you once again for the beverage that you gave to me. I'm delighted to have it. Are investors counting on too much from the Fed next year?
1: That's that's a great question. I think the answer is yes, but you know what, Tyler? I would have said that 20% ago or so in the S&P 500, and that would have been incorrect. The market is now up in six, 16% in 36 trading days, which is remarkable. We can talk about the move from lows to highs in the Russell. But what I look at, and I know Tim is probably looking at the same thing, relative straight index RSI is now north of 81. The last time it was this high was probably September of 2020, And that didn't augur particularly well for the market at that time. It doesn't mean the market's going down in a straight line, but it does mean in terms of sentiment, we are very overbought in levels we haven't seen in the last three or so years. You know, it's interesting, Tyler, if I go back
3: to late 2021, the last time the Fed signaled a pivot, right? They had late November said they were going to start raising interest rates in the new year to combat inflation, right? Well, here we are. We're in December of 2023. The stock market, as Guy just said, has rallied 16% off of those lows in late October. I go back to 2021 again. That December, stock market rallied seven and a half percent. The S&P made a new high on I think on the second trading day of the year in 2022. In the face of the Fed and what they were going to do. So you ask the question: Are investors pricing in too much? You know, like I understand what I think is going to come back as a pullback because I think ultimately when the Fed cuts, it's not going to be for those great reasons that a lot of people are um, imputing right now into the markets. But you know, sometimes markets have a way of doing things that you don't expect them. That's why I bring back to two years ago and the reaction here. Right now, it feels like there is no end in sight to how far stocks can rally. We're going to have a headline probably in the not-so-distant future, new all-time highs for the S&P 500. Your question, though, what do you do right there? Do you chase it? I'm not sure if you do that up 17%, 18%, Mr. line.
4: Yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, I feel like this, what's happening right now is just a, a chase because many managers are behind, you know, behind whatever their benchmark might be. And so they feel like, all right, I have to be invested. And it's not about where things are trading or whether we're gonna be in a recession, any of that. It's just, how do I show at the end of the year, what, you know, performance. And so this is sort of a, 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 I don't know, I don't know what kind of top it is, but some sort of top, but I don't know what to do about things. It's funny, you know, when your own stock's up like 18% in a short amount of time, you feel like, all right, well, that makes sense. When the other stocks Mm -hmm. that you don't own, you feel like, wow, this is really getting ahead of itself. Right. So there's some of both going on here. But I think um, I always say if you went home long, it's as if you bought it at the close. So I essentially bought everything at the close here. um, And I'm going to hang on to it for a while. I think that the Fed put is sort of in. I don't know that it's an at the money put. Right. It It could be that the recession happens. We go down and then the Fed's there. But for the moment, I'm staying long. The one thing I do really like, though, is the broadening out of the rally, right? We've been talking for a while about the small Russell caps taking part. Exactly. I mean, today a big outperformance by the Russell 2000. I like that. That looks healthy to me. Some of this, literally, some charts that are straight up. That looks less healthy.
2: Yeah, Russell 2000 at, at levels not since uh, August of 2022. Uh, the Nasdaq 100, I think, an all-time high. Tim, uh, is it is it time for small caps? If you if you haven't gotten in, is there
5: still good bargains there? Well, I don't know about bargains, but it's certainly about time. I mean, small caps have underperformed for so long, and it's been such a significant underperformance that they were kind of due. I I, I fit somewhere in the middle of the comments so far, meaning um, I can look at the broadening of the market, and say this is great. I, I'm also very happy to see uh, the relative strength of the leadership also continue. And let's be clear. I mean, you know, Nasdaq's you know all-time highs. Uh, we're about to get there on the S and P. But the leadership that's coming from the semiconductor space and the mega cap stocks is what I think you actually need. So the combination of both of them. I think is great news for markets. I, you know, Back to the Fed, uh, we hit 399 on on December Fed fund futures. Uh, that's 135 basis points, 140 basis points, 150 basis points away. If the Fed does that next year in terms of cuts, uh, something bad is going to happen, I think. Based upon the economy we have today, which is one that's reasonably strong, a, a labor market that's reasonably close to all-time lows in unemployment, uh, where we have, we know what's going on in manufacturing and leading indicators, not great, but there's other parts of the economy that are doing quite well. So um, this week to me and last week, but we had Savita uh, from Bank of America on last night. Some of the keys to me is, is that the street and the both the analyst community, but I think investors are getting comfortable with earnings growth. In 24, and and that's what you have to hang your hat on. I'm not saying we're going to get the 11 or 12 percent earnings growth that's forecasted, but that's the part of this that you need, and that's the part of this that, after three quarters of an earnings recession, um, I think is where markets have to believe in 24.
1: It's interesting. If we could put up a Russell chart in the form of the IWM, put up a five-year chart, our crack staff and EC can do that. And you'll see the levels that we've traded up to. I think we closed a little north of 200 today. The same top we made, I think, in August of 22. Go back to this January. If you want to extend that out a little bit, I think it'll become a lot clearer. I mean, we're at big resistance levels. And to Tim's point, the Russell made its all-time high in November of 2021. And although it's rallied off the lows, we're still not close to the levels that we saw way back when. So that's something to keep in mind. And I only bring that up because if you think like I think the unemployment rate is going to move up in a pretty precipitous way over the next six months or so, in my opinion, it's very hard to be bullish small cap stocks in this environment.
3: Yeah, the other thing I think we, we hit this earlier in the week. Um, there was data. This is the shortest period that the IWM, the Russell Two Thousand, went from a fifty-two week low to a fifty-two week high, and that's happened I think over the last kind of you know thirty trading days or something like that. We're seeing that in the S and P Five Hundred. There's no shortage of stocks. Like I'm just like, a guy, Citibank right here up, and this stock was trading at thirty-eight and a half on October twenty seventh to close today at near fifty-one dollars. It's about to make a new fifty two week high and if you just think of that I mean that just reeks of a chase right and so do you yeah. want to buy something that's made that sort of move that was so out of favor not too long ago and again you know we had the CEO of JP Morgan probably right before that stock was making this is the Citibank was making new 52-week lows saying be prepared for five six seven percent you know fed funds for a while so a lot of folks got a lot of things wrong in the in the last few months or so and I guess my point is after you have such a parabolic move it doesn't make sense given all the uncertainty to probably chase stories
2: like this that have moved that quickly and the same goes for the russell what should i do with my money here is it is it time to shove it shove it in or are there sectors that you like karen that
4: i well i actually am long banks i would push back on dan's comments about citibank a couple of i guess it was only six or seven weeks ago that it never should have been at 37 that that was where the anomaly was, not where it is right now. When you think about as a price to earnings, and certainly as a price to tangible book, um, nothing comes close to city valuation. JP Morgan, um, that's one I'm comfortable owning here. I think um, there's, there's – I like the IWM here, even though it's mm. had a big run. Could it pull back? Yes. But I do think that there is still a lot of room between where the IWM historically has traded and where the S&P 500 is traded on a price-to-earnings basis. And over time, in the 25 years since the IWM has been around, it's outperformed. Lagged recently until the very last push that we've had. So I'm staying along that.
2: Tim, where would you be putting money now?
5: Well, I think there's a couple of parts of the economy that we don't spend a ton of time talking about that are also working. And we had that that U.S. Steel news last night. But you look at integrated miners. So I'm talking about BHP. I'm talking about Rio Tinto uh, and then the ones that are specialized more into copper and gold like Freeport. Freeport's had an outsized move to the market since that CPI number in mid-November. So again, easing on inflation is very, very good for the resources community, Um, whether you have the kind of demand. And I think oil suffers more from demand concerns, but a weaker dollar, a dollar that It's now down almost 5% from that peak that we had when rates peaked around November 1st. Uh, I think it's great for the resources community. I think there are structural issues for wanting to own copper. And and I think the integrated miners also are are well um, kind of situated. We've seen international markets also. That's a dollar dynamic. Multinationals benefiting from that that dollar weakness as well. Um, Japan was up one and a half percent. I think Japan continues to go higher. Latin America, which has uh, some emerging market dynamics that are actually very beneficial here, especially at a time even when China's not strong, Brazil is strong also on the resources front. So, I, and I, you know, I think there are places to. I think gold, as back to miners, um, gold's about to get to a fresh. Push through to to multi years all time highs and gold's been waiting for this moment. Gold miners have underperformed. You had a big move by the GDX today. I think you're going to continue to get that. But again, I would uh, I would get back to some of the things that Karen was saying. Um, we we had nasty nasty bear markets in a lot of real economy stuff going into this period. So I love the fact that the market's broadening. I think some of these companies are pretty cheap, and I think there's an opportunity from trade higher. Um, If we were not getting the outperformance of the leadership, though, I'd be concerned. And and while we have both, markets go higher. All
2: right. And we're going to talk more about the miners in a little bit. But meantime, we've got an earnings alert. Uh, FedEx tumbling on an earnings miss. The company also lowering revenue guidance for fiscal
6: 2024. Frank Holland here to take us inside the numbers. Hi, Frank. Well, hey there, Tyler. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The lowering of that full year guidance is just another factor weighing on FedEx. The company got, you know, a flat full year from a prior forecast of lower single digit growth. Also, a big miss on margin for the express business, Air Deliveries, where FedEx gets just about half of its revenue. And Express, it just continues to see lower demand and lower pricing power. Ground, the bright spot here. Revenue growth beat on margins. The company won business from UPS during the Teamster negotiations. The freight business, that's an LTL trucking business, it benefited from more pricing power. Rates up about 4%. FedEx also benefiting from the bankruptcy of Yellow. Overall mixed, also questions about how sustainable those gains from UPS and Yellow really are. So FedEx said it achieved $1.8 billion in permanent savings from its drive cost cutting plan on the call starting at 530 Eastern. Investors will be listening closely for progress and also how the integration of those three business units is going. That process expected to be completed in June of 2024. Tyler, back over to you. All
2: right, Frank, thank you very much. Let's uh, trade FedEx. Karen, what do you think?
4: Well, uh, so I had been in FedEx and switched to UPS. FedEx was... um, They were in the middle of a very nice turnaround right the the stock is starting to sort of get some love it went from trading at a low double digits multiple to something sort of eh, 15 16 ish or so i'm kind of surprised with the magnitude of the sell-off in the after hours they missed by i don't know 20 cents and yet they were down i don't know what is that 23 or so give or take yeah that's a very big multiple on a on a yeah it was a miss for sure but it just sort of harkens back to, or do you harken, or you harken back? I'm not sure if that's you harken back. All right, so it, to uh, wow, when <laughs> FedEx would have a couple of good quarters and then a bad quarter, and then put out guidance and then not really make it, and so I think you're getting a little bit of multiple compression here because maybe the credibility, maybe it's back to maybe being in the penalty box a little bit. UPS, which I own, down in the you know some of the same reasons, it probably will have a tougher quarter.
3: Dan. Yeah, I mean, listen, the stock rally 25% into the print, right? So when you say they missed on, a, you know, like a few percentage points and, and the guidance wasn't better than expected, I mean, there was a lot in the stock at that point. And, and Karen's talking about a stock trading about 15 times growing at high teens. You know what I mean? That is a cheap stock. Um, but I guess things are getting priced to perfection relative to themselves, sometimes relative to their peers after you have these sorts of runs. And I actually think this sort of price action, we're going to see a lot of as we get into January. The higher we go, I think the smaller the sort of disappointments are, the higher the expectations, yeah. the more likely are just to kind of hit the sell button, ask questions later a little bit. And, you know, so this could be a bit of a precursor. I know we got Nike tomorrow. Let's see what they do. That's had a big run, too. So I'm really interested to see how a lot of these stocks in this sort of euphoric environment trade on
2: disappointments. Yeah, my, my son is in, in a class, and one of his stock picks was Nike, and had to, he had to write a report about it mm. last night, which meant I had to write a report <laughs> about it. Let's hope his teacher is not a Fast Money fan. I don't oh, know. I mean, Mr. Uh, Weber. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Weber! Mr. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, Weber! Senior just, year, we yeah, can yeah, give the kid a yeah, break. Yeah, right? It's yeah. good. Guy how it works
1: on FedEx. If you're going to miss, don't miss an Express. As Frank mentioned, that's half their business, right? But the miss forget about revenue because we can nitpick. It's in margins, which were half of what the street was expecting. Operating margins came in 1.7%. The street was at 36 There's a disconnect there, clearly. Yeah, ground was fine, freight was fine, but that's not where you're going to make up these things. So to, to answer Karen's question, why are they whacking the stock like it is? Because when you miss with your biggest business unit, with margins being cut in half, that's concerning. Where do you buy the stock? Well, I think it's trading 258 here. I'm going back and trying to find a level. I mean, as it turns out, the math suggests 250 is a level, and we'll see. I thought this stock could actually challenge the prior high into earnings. Where would it get up to? 285? So it didn't get that close. Now you have to figure out what's the right value for it. 250 probably makes sense.
2: All right, let's move on. Uh, Coming up uh, from the year of efficiency to best year ever. Uh, That's what 2023 is turning into for Meta's stock, and that's got some analysts making a New Year's resolution on this name, what they see for the social climber next. Plus, a cheap chip check. Could semi-standout NVIDIA actually bring you more bang for your buck against its competitors? We're going to surround the chip trade when Fast Money returns in two minutes. You're watching Fast Money here on CNBC. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. UBS naming Meta a top pick for 2024. The stock has nearly tripled this year and is trading just a hair below its September 21 all-time high. At the start of the year, CEO Mark Zuckerberg promised that this year would be Meta's, quote, year of efficiency. Now the stock is on track for its best year ever. UBS calling Meta one of its top buys in the mega-cap Internet space, saying the stock could rise another 20% from here. Karen, this is a holding of yours.
4: Yes, this, uh, mostly through appreciation, is my largest position. I think that it's not expensive here at all. I still like the story. I think it's still holding together. Even though it was the year of efficiency, they also were spending a lot of money, though. And I think we could see a little more efficiency next year in maybe some more revenue generation as opposed to cuts. I think that um, the ad market is strong. Uh, The valuation here is really not stretched. It just seems like it is because it was trading, this was trading at one time at 10 or 11 times earnings with a ton of cash, I mean, insane levels. So that it's back here, it should be, the business is bigger than it was at its peak. I'm hanging on to it, but at some point, just as it becomes, it grows. You got to hedge some or sell some upside calls. Yeah, everybody something. talks
2: about Nvidia, but this stock has done it's, fabulously. It's Underappreciated, I, I think, for the year,
4: even though it's a huge year. Yes, even though it's a huge year. I think year, so. Right. right. It's back to where it should should have been. Tim, thoughts?
5: I, I, I'm long it, and I like everyone. I can't argue that there's not. An interesting valuation. Uh, I will say that the dynamics around their AI exposure—in other words—are these one of the companies that truly is letting AI work for them? I think so, especially gets into reels and some of their kind of their core businesses. So uh, I think Facebook, Meta, whatever we're calling it, is doing great in a world also where we don't have pressure on advertisers and the cyclicality around the media space that we had at the end of 21. Remember, they sold Meta first. It wasn't just about uh, concerns on on the you know wh- where we were going. Going in the netherverse, really, is what it was. But ultimately, it was about people being concerned about ad spend. Um, That's going to happen again if all the doom and gloom on the economy that people are talking about comes about. In the meantime, uh, this is one of those names that's breaking out. It's one of those charts. It's not Apple. Uh, It's really, it's Amazon. it's, it's, It's Meta, and it's Google within mega cap tech that I actually think continue to go higher.
1: It's traded extraordinarily well. It's got to get through those August 2021 highs or whatever the hell the all-time high, 375 or something. And I point this out just to point it out. And maybe it's scheduled. I don't know. I guess I can go to my Google machine and look. But since the beginning of November, Mark Zuckerberg has sold almost – $300 $300 million worth of Facebook stock, which is just something to take into consideration. Hmm. Earnings-wise, 20 times, is not expensive at all, despite the run, as Karen mentioned, the report at the end of January, just pointing it out, just to point it
2: out. And look at that last chart was very interesting. If we could flip back to that last chart where it began the year, uh, if we can go back, it's, you can see the mountainous rise. Well, there you go. Is that? Is that, uh, yeah, there's the year to date, up... Uh, well, what is it? That? That's, oh, that's a two-year. That's a two-year. This new graphics package is tremendous. is tremendous. Yeah, look at, look at where, where it was at the start of 2023 and where it is today. From, a little, I don't know, that's 100 to
5: 320. 190%. 200% this year.
2: 190%. There we go. All right, got it. There we go. I can read these charts. Stick with me, okay? Hopefully your son's teacher can read them as well because he's watching right now. Somebody called him, believe me. Somebody called him. All right, now to another big winner. Coinbase up 5% today. Compass Point hiking its price target on that stock and reiterating its buy rating. Coinbase jumping 120% in just the last two months. CNBC's Kate Rooney is here. What's driving this monster move higher, Kate?
3: Hey, Tyler. So the Coinbase fever, it's been partially thanks to Bitcoin's rally. Those two tend to really trade in tandem. Also, this drop in interest rates helping unprofitable growth stocks and then optimism about a Bitcoin ETF being approved. I spoke to Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong earlier about that. He pushed back on the bears out there who think an ETF could take trading activity away from Coinbase and push people who want to trade that ETF over to the brokerage firm, say Robinhood or one of the established names. Here's
4: what he said about that.
1: We want um, the massive pools of capital out there that are in endowments and institutions, pension funds. Um, they should all be able to participate in this new asset class. And so I think mostly it will be a compliment. We'll see large new pools of capital coming to crypto. I think that's part of why we've seen Bitcoin prices be up 90% year to date in anticipation of this. And there's also gonna be a huge retail and institutional segment. They, they don't just wanna own an ETF for Bitcoin, they wanna actually own other crypto assets
3: also talked about Coinbase adjusting to falling interest rates. About a third of Coinbase's top line in the third quarter came from Interest Revenue Armstrong, telling me that they are prepared. Coinbase has multiple revenue streams now. It's not just interest income or trading. Tyler, back to you.
2: All right, Kate, thank you very much. Let's trade this name, Coinbase. Dan? Uh, Tough one here. I mean, listen,
3: you know, there were no shortages uh, of, of negative reasons not to own Coinbase. Like, if you want to own Bitcoin, you can own Bitcoin, right? But mm-hmm. why own the one that has you know, pricing pressure and and, and regulatory and all that sort of stuff? Why don't but, just own the asset? Yeah, and, and and so to see this company perform the way it has, to see the balance sheet that they have, I, I mean, it's great. I, I'm not so sure we're going to see when there's ETFs that exist and how many retail are really interested in, in paying the high fees and crossing bid-ask um, and owning them in a crypto wallet versus basically just owning an ETF that looks like an equity and putting it in their IRA or something like that. So that story is yet to be um, told. But, you know, the stock up like that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense (laughs) to chase it here. I guess I'd rather chase Bitcoin if
2: you believe in that move. All right. Year to date, up 300 and some percent. Uh, Tim, your thoughts?
5: I'm long Coinbase and and I've been long it, you know, over the last few months. My my view is not only on the Bitcoin move and the correlations. uh, I, I think the regulatory dynamics are probably upside. Um, And I I won't speculate where the lawyers and and the regulators are, but um, the fact is that you are getting more institutional adoption and a lot more people on board. Ultimately, um, that's great for the asset class. If Coinbase is the on-ramp to the digital world, at least one of them, and let's be clear, uh, in 1.0, they were the on-ramp, then that means that the entire asset asset class is well bid. Agree. Easy. Uh, clearly ETF, Bitcoin ETFs will, will, people will not need to own directly, but they will own other digital assets. And that's where there's higher margins and I think new frontier. So, um, clearly, uh, they are one of the clear ways to play that. And if you remove regulatory and Bitcoin trades higher, uh, Coinbase is going higher.
2: All right, Tim, thank you very much. I just want to report from the home front. Uh Oh, Uh -oh. Uh, The email has arrived. Did Dad just call me out? Yes. Uh, I mean, mean, it's going to be hell to pay. No, but maybe
1: we can help. Maybe Listen, maybe we can help him out. I mean, maybe we can, as a team here, we can do a Zoom call for the class and sort of assuage any concerns the professor might have. I I think that's
2: a great idea. I I think that's a great idea. And maybe we'll knock around Nike a little bit later just so that uh, That when the earnings come out. Because you did this to yourself. <laughs> I did. I, I'm a transparent Who knew someone dude. would be watching? Exactly. You I knew didn't. anybody. Yeah. I they don't watch yeah. at home at my house. <laughs> All right. There's a lot more fast to come. Here's what's coming up next. Looking for a deal in the semi-space? So are our traders, the cheap chip that's standing out among the competition and what options markets are saying about the next name set to report. Plus, it was a big year for a lot of stocks, but not everyone came along for the ride. The divergence between a couple of industry leaders this year may surprise you, but which should you bet on in 2024? Our traders give their picks ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market side in Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Chip stocks taking 2023 by storm, and Wall Street expects more of the same next year. Even after NVIDIA's uh, monstrous run this year, the average analyst price target implies 33% more upside in that one. And stunningly, NVIDIA is still the cheapest of the big three chip makers, trading at a lower forward P.E. than both Intel and AMD. Dan, is P.E., forward P.E., the way to look at at these stocks and to value them? Well, it wasn't before the earnings estimates kind of caught up to
3: where the stock was. I mean, it was just kind of a harder game. I've gotten many things wrong this year, one of which was this and the way that it would grow into this valuation. But right now, if you're buying this stock that actually has been basing between $400 and $500 for almost the last five much or so, you have to believe that the earnings expectations for next year are too low right? Like that there's going to be further estimate revisions. And what I think one of the reasons why we've seen this churn and one of the reasons we're seeing an AMD play catch up, especially since they've introduced some competitive products, is that they think that there's going to be some pricing pressure. There's going to be other competitive pressures as it relates to market share. And maybe, maybe the market doesn't mature the same way that a lot of folks um, think right now. So to me, I get it. If you want to continue to own this stock or you think that the, the, the numbers are too low for next year, I just think the landscape is going to look very different for NVIDIA next year than it did this year. And again, I got a lot of things wrong. This was one of them. Better or worse Landscape better? I think it's going to be tougher. Tougher. Tougher for them to make headway. Doesn't mean the stock's not going to go higher, but I'm just saying, like, like, here's a great example. This was a really hard year. One of the worst fundamental years for Tesla this year and the stock's up nearly 100% of the year. So, like, sometimes there is a disconnect between the way stocks move and fundamentals.
4: I don't view this as really so much of a disconnect. I think that we are still early on in the story, right? We always talk about picks and shovels of AI. This is obviously the center of that um, theory. And I think that it's a trading stock, though. Normally, I'm in something for the long term. We've seen this one run up a couple of times after they announced that gigantic quarter and the expectations of, of, you know, just a monumental shift in their revenues. And I think it's somewhat of a trading stock. They're not going to report earnings again until February. I wouldn't be surprised if it ran up higher into that. But it's almost like no matter how good their quarter is, it just doesn't can't live up to the excitement that, I mean, people see this as the the next, I don't know, the holy grail, yeah, I guess. Yeah. And so I'm um, long it. I probably would sell before earnings, but that's not for a little while.
2: Yeah, it, it seems to have it got the excitement does build into the earnings. And then there's this moment where it right. deflates.
4: Yes, it's sort of a buyer of the rumor, sell right. the news. Yeah. yeah,
2: I remember being with you all. I think it was in August right before their earnings. One yes. day, and it was exactly that it went up to 513 or something.
4: Yeah. Am I right? And then am again. And then directly? again, the last
2: you're quarter. Correct. I'm, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, and then like, the stock,
1: yeah. you're right. I mean, I think that evening it traded to 516 post-earnings, and a month or so later we were looking at a was a little more than that, was south of $400.
2: Listen,
1: I have different numbers for AMD. It doesn't matter. I have a trade in about 38 times next year's numbers. But to your point about exuberance, and people have gotten themselves way off sides in the stock now a number of different times. They just reported a month and a half, two months ago, Uh, The stock closed, I think, in 97. The knee jerk reaction was to sell it off to 94. We had a conversation on the desk and we talked about how people are off sides here. You should be buying this quarter. I'll say this I didn't think we'd get back to 139 as quickly as it has, but here we are. Now you got a stock that is a little expensive. Dan can speak to this. It's probably trading at nine times earnings to the extent, nine times revenue to the extent that even means anything. But you're going to get to levels now where people are going to get very excited in earnings at AMD and they're going to do the same mistake again. So I think you own the stock in earnings at the end of the month of January, and then we'll have another conversation. All right. Actually,
2: Dan can't speak to this because we're going to move on. I apologize. (laughs) That's all right. You're OK, right? You're not going to be offended, are you? We move on, Dan. you stopped talking.
4: You said
2: I can't speak to uh, it. Right. Sorry, sorry. Meanwhile, Micron, another chip maker, feeling the love from the street. KeyBank naming it a top idea thanks to its AI exposure. The company reports after the bell tomorrow, and options traders are feeling bullish. Mike Co. Now with the action. Hey, Mike, what are you seeing? Well, so the options market implying a move of about 4.9%. It saw nearly
1: double its average daily call volume today. One of the busier contracts we saw with a March. Uh, 82 and a half calls. Those essentially at the money calls. Over 12,000 of those traded for a little over five bucks a contract. Buyers of those are obviously betting uh, this one could go higher. Now the company did have a little bit of a pre-announcement, good news, uh, a couple weeks ago. So that obviously is one of the reasons that the stock has uh, seen a run here. And this is more of a commodity chip
2: play than I think Nvidia or AMD at these at uh, this time. All right, Mike, thanks for the insight. We appreciate it. We're going to uh, move along. Coming up, the ultimate would-you-rather. Our traders pit the best performers of 2023 against their not-so-great competition. So who will win these Fast Money face-offs? Stick around to find out. Plus, mining stocks are striking gold today. Tim was talking about them earlier. We will dig in on some names, seeing the biggest moves, and tell you how you can extract some profits of your own. More Fast Money right back at you. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Stocks climbing again today, keeping hopes for an eight-week win streak alive. The major index is all up about a half percent, with the S&P nearing a record high. The Dow and NASDAQ both on nine-day win streaks. Russell 2000, monstrous December so far. Small cap index climbing about 12 percent so far this month, and it's early. Shares of GE up nearly 2 percent. That stock trading at its highest level since October of 2017. And a firm surging more than 15 percent after it announced an expanded partnership with Walmart. Shares there up more than 420 percent this year, but still down nearly 50 percent over the past two years. What do we think
5: of a firm holdings, Tim? I think the business model doesn't make sense at 550 Fed funds. I think it, it makes sense, uh, you know, significantly lower. It doesn't surprise me the move in the stock with interest rates plummeting. It doesn't surprise me the move with a Walmart deal. I mean, look, obviously any deal with Walmart is, is a game changer for anyone, especially someone that's looking for a consumer that probably at some point is going to be a little over their skis and wants to pay later. Uh, I, I, you know, I think this is a great opportunity to be fading names like this, to possibly be initiating short positions, at least in companies that are highly exposed to consumer credit uh, to financing costs that made sense yesterday, but I don't think makes sense tomorrow. So uh, no, I'm not buying this move. If anything, I'm a major seller of it. All right. Very interesting. All right.
2: Meanwhile, private credit powerhouses like the uh, Carlisle Group, Aries Management, Blackstone catching a bid in a big way this year, Uh, even amid rising interest rates. But with a Fed pivot and lower yields coming now into view, what is the impact on the red hot asset class? Leslie Picker has some answers. Hi, Leslie.
0: Hey, Tyler. Yeah, 2023 has been a near perfect backdrop for private credit. Broadly, the asset class benefits from higher yields because they can generate bigger spreads on the floating rate loans they make. And the potential for higher capital rules and uncertain macro backdrop have really hamstrung the biggest banks, more traditional banks, from certain types of loan making, providing an opportunity for private credit managers. But 2024, is a bit more of a question mark. PitchBook in a new report for Allocator says that a soft landing scenario comes with the, quote, greatest risks as capital flowing into the space has created a lot of competition, just as base rates are expected to stabilize lower. The firm noted the dearth in making has limited ways private credit firms can spend its billion in dry powder. But others say the the grass is not necessarily greener in a hard landing scenario, despite a coinciding valuation decline and winnowing of competition for private credit managers in that scenario. I spoke with Goldman's lead analyst on alternative assets, Alex Blostein, who said the biggest risk to private credit is large losses. Not having a severe credit event is a good thing for private credit. So in other words, a soft landing would be a huge tailwind for the industry, but it wouldn't be a big dampener either. Tyler.
2: All right. Thanks very much, Leslie. Uh, let's trade uh, private some of the private credit players or some of the banks that are, uh, you know, in that sort of competitive space. Karen?
4: I'm married to a private creditor, yes. actually, so uh, I don't really trade the space. Yeah. But I do think, you know, what she talked about, a, a soft landing is okay. No landing is great. But what really has to happen, though, for all this private credit money to come in to put to use is that private equity needs to be able to do deals. So they need capital structures that work. They need prices of equities that work or private companies. So that to me is a critical component as well. Is there gonna be, I mean, private equities had a tough tough time of late.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, the better have, they,
4: they do, the better private credit. Jump debt.
1: ball.
2: Anybody want to jump well,
1: in? Well, the Carlisle Group has had the biggest run it's had in quite some time over the last few months, not coincidentally with the moving yields. So, Karen talked about Harvey Schwartz took over, I want to say February of 23. He will implement a plan that works. I know that because, you know, I'm not dropping names. I've known him since our time at Goldman Sachs together. So, I believe in him. And I also believe the backdrop actually favors Carlisle in a meaningful way here how about the uh, broaden
3: out
2: to the bigger banks well, or well, to well, the banks generally
3: here's where i was going to go it's kind of interesting when you just look at the bottom left upper right for these and you look at the valuations that they're trading out the opportunities that they have um they are taking the best and the brightest like away from like from the banks the private um, credit the, the, people yeah, yeah i mean it's just light and day and just if you're in our network you just hear this every day this is not where the smartest young it has people been the hot want, place. want to go That's and it. and listen that actually should be a tailwind um you know in my opinion because there's going to be a lot of innovation and to Karen's point If you ever have a better backdrop for private equity, um, I don't think this kind of lets up anytime soon, because I don't think the banks are really equipped to do this sort of business right now.
5: Tim, jump in. I, like this This is all great. It's been a great time. There's there's obviously a lot of really talented people. Those firms we're all talking about, including Karen's husbands, are some of the most sophisticated guys on, on Wall Street. I'll say private credit has a dark side to it, too. I, I think if we get anywhere close to the kind of move people think in the economy, a lot of the companies that are re- you know, recipients of private credit funding are a big, big, big problem. And I think there's there's certainly a lot of vehicles out there where I, I think it's not as easy to see what you own in this environment. So look, um, Two months ago, I think people were really concerned about private credit. If you looked at Barron's, if you looked at the Journal, there's all kinds of articles talking about this ticking time bomb. So, I mean, just because uh, yields have gone down 100 basis points on the 10-year doesn't really change a dynamic where we're still 400, 500 basis points higher uh, in terms of financing costs for a lot of companies that that don't make money in, in this environment. So that's the other side of this. The, the people that have made big businesses here are the smartest people in the room and, and they've, they've got a huge business and they're very smart about who they lend to. But there are, uh, you know, there's an enormous exposure across private credit that is less transparent and a lot of people don't know what they're playing in. So just know what sandbox you're playing in and know the liquidity of the sandbox you play in. All right, Tim. Thank you. And coming up, can you dig it? These stocks sure can. The moves in miners
2: have been catching our traders eyes. So which stock should you shovel into your portfolio? We'll debate that one next. Plus, would you rather America's favorite game? We're going to hit some of the biggest leaders and laggards in 2023. Winners or sinners, you should be watching when Fast Money returns. We're back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Mining stocks extracting some gains in today's – oh, the the (laughs) wordplay is is masterful here in today's session. Freeport, macmoran Barrick Gold, uh, BHP, and other metals miners uh, with some nice moves higher. The GDX Gold Miners ETF also up nearly 10 percent over the past week. You were looking at this move, Guy.
1: Yeah, I think it can continue. I'll say this. What's happened, I think, historically is people have been reticent to buy gold mining stocks in the face of gold rallying because they believe it's going to be short-lived. I'm not going to get caught up in it. I'm not going to get faked out again. And a couple Sunday nights ago, it appeared as though they were right on. I mean, gold made an all-time high, only to reverse $100. And if you watch, gold miners did not participate. But gold is actually held in there relatively well. Bank of Japan is telling you, you know what, we're sticking with negative interest rates. Uh, You see what's going on in the 10-year here. Gold has found its footing. I think the commodity trade's higher, and I think there's a huge catch-up trade in the underlying equities in the form of the
2: miners. Tim, final thoughts on gold and the miners.
5: Uh, Gold is is if you're looking at 20 year charts, it's the best chart you can find. And it tells you the story of long term, why gold continues to be bid higher. Everything that the environment and I know Karen says you can buy used to be able to find every reason to go out and buy gold. But the reasons really are that you have uh, an interest rate of low, excuse me, a lower growth environment, an environment where inflation is falling. And maybe the Fed is getting easier and we're more concerned about some of the things that have people buying gold. This is that time.
2: All right, Tim. Thank you. And coming up, it is the battle of the industrials. Will it be deer with the headbutt or cat with the claws? We'll have more tough questions in two minutes. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim chatting exclusively with the CEO of the makeup maker, Oddity Tech. Catch that full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. More fast in two minutes. all right welcome back to fast money uh the end of the year just around the corner and we thought it would be good uh, a great time to look at some of 2023's winners and losers And uh, with some big divergences between arch rivals across industries, we wondered which would you rather add to your portfolio? We're looking at them all from discount retailers to streamers to autos to industrials. And let's play the game. First up, retail. Walmart popping almost 10 percent this year, uh, while Target is down more than 6 percent. Would you rather Walmart
5: or Target? Tim, you go first. This is would you rather. I, I, I own them both. Um, I would Walmart over Target here just because it's uh, Target has clawed back 41 points between the two companies in the last six weeks. I mean, it was so oversold on a pair basis. And these are two great pairs to trade. Uh, you saw Target wickedly outperform for a couple of years before. Walmart has dominated uh, 65% outperformance. It's a 41% move off that bottom six weeks ago for Target. I own Walmart here. Uh, Karen, your thought? Would yes, you rather this is a tough or? one.
4: I, I own them both, but I also had on the pairs trade, long target, short Walmart, just because the discrepancy in the price to earnings, we might have a chart of that, or it might have already just been up. I'm not sure. Yes, there, there it is. Go. was so wide. See how wide that look was? Look how wide And now is. look how narrow it is. And so it's time to take that trade off. Um, a, a Target is cheaper, but Walmart deserves to be more expensive. This is a super tough one. I will just talk my book, though I am long. More target than Walmart.
2: More target than Walmart. All right, next up the streamers. Netflix soaring almost 68% this year. Meanwhile, Disney up just 8%. Would you rather? Netflix or Disney, Dan? Yeah, I'd probably rather Disney. And one of the
3: reasons, you know, buy buy Iger's back at the company, a lot of initiatives, a lot of moving parts right now, let's be clear. But I think the fact that you have Nelson Peltz from tri he's still trying to agitate for some change. They just added James Gorman of uh, Morgan Stanley um, to the board. I, I just think that something probably positive happens between Iger and Peltz in the new year. And you might see some outperformance on a relative basis um, to a Netflix. I know there's a lot of people who think there's a lot of moving parts here and it's really hard to value this company. But ultimately, if I had to play Would You Rather, it's
2: Disney. It's Disney. Di,
1: I'll play and I'll say Netflix. And I understand, listen, the, the biggest gripe I think about Netflix now is valuation. They're going to surpass Disney Plus in 2024 in terms of ad revenue, which is remarkable if you think about it whereas Disney's problems are vast and robust. So if the only problem with Netflix is valuation, I'll stick with Netflix
2: here. All right, rather than Netflix. Let's take a look at the automakers. Tesla up 108%. Dan mentioned it earlier this show uh, this year, while General Motors is up about 6%. Dan, are you going to surprise us here? Which would you rather? I'm going to surprise you,
3: but it, it, I'm actually not going to play the game that well. So earlier this year, <laughs> I made okay. a really stupid comment on this show. And you could say, Karen.
4: Wh- be specific.
3: Which one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And it was something about, you know, in 100 years, GM, I'm still going to be around and Tesla's not around. I think what GM did this year by dialing back their ambitions and EVs and I think a lot of the labor issues, I think it's going to put traditional auto in a really tough spot. Now, that being said, on Tesla, I've been very bearish on the stock this year and it's gone up a lot, as I just mentioned. So another thing that I've been wrong about, but the fundamentals have been bad and I've been right on the fundamentals and the direction of their margins and kind of the market share issues and some of the issues in China and the like here. So next year, I actually think their fundamentals probably bottom out at some point early in the Tesla's, year. Tesla's. Tesla's do, but I think it probably happens from lower levels, at some point, maybe towards 150 or so. Karen, which
4: yeah, would you rather? Yeah, mine. I'm sort of a you know valuation girl, so GM. But I actually did sell my GM recently, just because I just sort of gave up on the EV transformation and Cruise. I mean, a lot of things going wrong over there. It is cheap. It should be cheap, but uh, and Tesla is expensive. Should be expensive, but too expensive for me. So, so neither. Would you rather is neither. It is neither. <laughs> Sorry, I'm bad at the game too.
2: All righty. That's the game, folks. Up next, your final trades. We'll be right back. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, starting with Tim. Tim.
5: Tyler, thanks for joining us. Copper's at six-month highs. We talked about gold near all-time highs. Freeport Mac mines them both. FCX. All right, Karen, you're next.
4: Yes, uh, it's had a nice bounce, but I think Lowe still has some room to run with housing turning around.
5: All right,
3: Dan, you're up. Yeah, Nike up nearly 40% into tomorrow's print. Um, I wouldn't be chasing this one here. I think you could have a similar reaction to FedEx. Interesting.
2: And God. Late vote for father of the
1: year. Tyler Matherson, Mr. Weber, not the bowler. Give us a call. Uh, in Tim's world, Agnico Eagle Mines. Comes out AEM, Ty. A-E-M.
2: All right, that's uh, your Fast Money for uh, Tuesday night. Mad Money with Jim Cramer is up right now in a couple of seconds, (laughs) see you tomorrow.
0: Thanks Tyler. warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash fastmoneydisclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.